This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And welcome to Home Zone Radio. My name is Chris Hamding, and tonight, well, tonight we look back at a 2 2 draw at Sellers Park with Everton Palace twice in the lead, twice being pegged back in controversial circumstances. We'll be sort of, well, we'll be analysing that in depth. Yeah, yeah, I did stutter there, you're quite right. Uh, I'll introduce my panel in just a moment, but we also hear from you. Go to holradio.net forward slash contact, find out all the ways to get in touch with the show, and we'll be back with this short message. There are 99 reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia, homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud and Palace. Absolutely seamless start there. I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> We've had a little bit of a run up to this, but um, let's uh, introduce the panel first and foremost. We have, I'm going to do it in a different order this time. We have Pongemeister, Alex Penge. Hi, Chris. How's it going? fantastic as well as it was when you asked me last time are you relieved also, yeah kind of kind of oh, relieved not too bad is it yeah listen no no one will know no one will no. know that we've spent 10 minutes frantically you know pulling out late. wires and yeah exactly exactly yeah. right we've also got mr dr kerners hello <laughs> hello dr how are you yeah, i'm fine like i don't really care um and also <laughs> we've got <laughs> we've also got patrick o'connor hello it's been way too long it has, Patrick. It really, really has. <laughs> I hope you're well and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Much better, thank you. Good, good, good. Glad to hear it. Um, so, listen, plenty to talk about today. Palace obviously performing in a you know very, very well in a tough game, but yet again, circumstances coming against us. Maybe some of our own doing. Maybe not. You know, we'll be discussing that. But um, obviously, a point not really enough when we're trying to get ourselves out of the clutches of last place. Um, so, gents, we're going to... Um, I think Patrick's going to try and lurk in the chat room for contact today, holradio.net forward slash chat. DR Kernaz will be on Facebook. Make sure you have a go at him if he doesn't read out your comments. Usually he reads out like one or two in total. So I'm going to get him working today for you. And, um, well, I myself will be monitoring Twitter. Alex doesn't really have to do anything. It's great. Feet up. Yeah, yeah. It's got to so, rubbish. 
Absolutely right. And on that topic, <laughs> let's start chatting rubbish. We're obviously going to look straight away at the lineup, and um, I think there's not too much that I would uh, I, I would have done differently. Obviously, Benteke only fit enough for the bench. Um, I think I think really do think that they probably didn't want to use him, but just the fact that he was available for a few minutes, I think that's that was the idea. But I didn't really want him to turn the game because he's uh, far from match fit, of course. And um, I suppose. It's the fullback positions that I really want to talk about because we saw Joel Ward back at right back and Jeff Schlupp dropped into the left back position, whereas obviously Fossey Mensah had come into the team before and Ward was playing left. And I don't think there was... Well, I was quite surprised at the change. So I'll start with you, Patrick. Any particular reason we think we did that? Is it just to accommodate MacArthur in the team um, and Schlupp as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that. Uh, Schlupp to me hasn't been poor uh, where he's playing before but I think he's more comfortable playing a little deeper so I think that was the reason why and I think MacArthur kind of gives you as you saw from the you know beginning of the game kind of gives you a little bit more <clears throat> movement and offensive threat so I think that the reason why the change was made was more to get MacArthur in there and again it put Schlupp in a more uh, comfortable position also it got you know um, it got Ward back on the right side I think better even though I'd like to see Fosman to play at some point I think that back four is probably right now the strongest we're going to have as far as both defensively and, and going forward. Yeah, obviously Van Arnholt finding himself out of favour right. after some, um, some some poor performances. Alex, what have you made of, of, of Van Arnholt of late? How's he going to get back into this team? Uh, it's going to be tricky for him to get back inside, but I'm just a bit I'm a bit concerned really about the back four. Just every game, sort of we're chopping and changing. We haven't really got a consistent back four, um, and I feel I know we're going to talk about that in more depth later on. Um, but I do feel that it means that we're not as secure as maybe we would be if we had a solid back four. So, yeah, slight concern. Um, you know, I, I, I like Ward and some, I think Ward look quite good on the left hand side, to be honest. But still, I still yeah. think we're papering over the cracks at the moment. Well, potentially, potentially. I think, you know, certainly Hodgson is, is searching for that formula at the back that yeah. not only... Um, you know, gives you that sort of solid base to play out from. But of course, obviously, we're trying to desperately cut out the individual errors that are costing us uh, repeatedly this year. Um, and unfortunately, the the back four we selected were unable to do that. And obviously, we will come to that in a, in 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 a, in due time. Uh, Patrick, I suppose after the lineup, it's a good time to start talking about um, how you feel the style of play's been going. Because I know you wanted to make a, a point about the football we're playing under Roy Hodgson. Yeah, very quickly. Um. When the uh, initial change was made of the ball, I actually was not for it because, again, I was kind of enthralled with the idea of having a Dutch manager, etc. So I took a quick look at the stats from the Burnley match, the one we lost 1-0, which was his last game. And in that match, we had about 65% possession. And yesterday, we had 68%. Uh, we had about 20, We had exactly 23 shots. Yesterday, we had 16. And uh, our, our accuracy of passes was 342. Yesterday, was 440. So I like, I like the way that the style is kind of... Ch- is going, but I don't think there's been a major change. I think the lineup was a little different. I mean, that game, Zaha didn't play, Benteke did play, etc. But just in general, I just think I like the way that kind of the board made that little shift in that game back to the 4-4-2, away from the three in the back. And right now, as Hodgson said yesterday, you know, there's not much we can do about um, performances. We're performing well, we're just not getting any results. And I just like the way we're playing as far as our style, both going forward, even defensively. We're just making silly mistakes, obviously, which we'll get to during the game. But I, I like the, the what the board kind of brought in at the, in that last game with the with the formation and where we play. I think the players that we that we play that are comfortable on the ball, like Zahar and Kabai, Luka didn't play in the Boney game, but players like that are really, and 
uh, love to Chico. Really starting to come to the fore as far mm. as t- you know getting that passing movement thing going because passing just don't don't get sixty five percent possession. You go back to whomever to Warnock to Pulis to to uh, uh, you know to anyone. We we just don't do that. So it's really nice to see the style of play. And I think that if this can kind of bed itself in and we can actually get some better defensive performances, we're going to actually be okay this year. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point you raise. Obviously, starting to dominate possession particularly at home and particularly yeah, um, exactly. with opponents that so, well some opponents are just letting us have the ball but before we weren't able to hurt them when they did that but <laughs> exactly. we're starting to be able to do that but w- where I think we've kind of fallen into this and I know I'll get DR and Alex's views in just a moment but I think once I think one of the things that that the DeBoer did badly was introduce that system when particularly when you're looking at Benteke as a forward player, he wasn't really suited to that. We certainly weren't yes. playing to his strength. So as as we I think we talked about on the show, the, the thing he needed to do quickly was get bodies in and around Benteke so so the gaps weren't there. So you weren't having right. this isolated striker. And he tried to do that by having Zaha and um I think Loftus cheek to a point as as number tens around him. So you want to play yeah. two tens. But we never settled into that and it was because of all the problems at the back. Whereas Hodgson's come in and given the sort of two banks of four, um, obviously playing players out of position in terms of, of uh, MacArthur and, and Loftus-Cheek, playing them out wide. But he's, in doing that and playing with without Benteke through, through being forced into it, he's clearly said, well, don't punt it long. And if you do, you're looking for channels. You're not looking for you know, a direct ball up to a, a, an individual. So I do think that, that that's kind of forced us to play football uh, in a way that really does suit the players. And, and I, I agree, it's been a really encouraging style of play uh, since Hodgson came in. Alex, your views? Uh, yeah, well, um, in terms of uh, Hodgson, um, I've got a, a friend who's, uh, who's got a, the Fulhamish podcast, and whenever ever I'm in Hodgson, he's absolutely in awe of him. in awe of him. He raves about him so much. And so when we appointed Hodgson, you know, I was really excited and to be honest I've been so so like really welcomed uh the appointment and I'm really welcoming the style of play that we're seeing um you know I, we, we're not really used to this type of football really and the fact that we've got players like Loftus-Cheek um you know we've got Kabai Kabai looks a different different player uh this season um under, under Hodgson um on and off isn't he? And I, I'm really, really excited by the style of play that we're playing at the moment. I thought we were outstanding against Spurs, and we were outstanding yesterday, and we deserved to win. So yeah, it's it's, it's great at the moment. The only problem is we don't get points, are we? So, but I feel that will come. We've, we're putting in the performances. It's just, it's just things are going um, against against our, our, our favourite. We've been very lucky. So I think with time we will get those points, and we we'll, we might pick up points in some scrappy games. Thanks, Alex. You were cutting out a bit there. I think you need to go and stand next to your internet router with your app, with your yes. iPad. Um, DR, I'm obviously going to come to you in just a moment for your views, but hold fire. Patrick's got some comments from the chat room. Yeah, JDog3, um, enthralled by a Dutch manager, question mark. Yesterday's game was the legacy of showing Dutch football is blank. Well, JDog, the point being is that um, not that the ball is a great manager, but if you're going to put down Dutch managers, I think you'll find there are quite a few that were pretty decent. And then Toby Reed 24 says, the only thing the ball really did right was the learning of RLC and Fosu, which I agree with that also. And uh, the last point from Toby Reed 
Toby Red 24 again. We are getting loads of second balls, but we don't see any players really challenging for the ball. We put it up top and get the second balls. Happened yesterday and against Chelsea. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers for that. Those comments, guys. Do keep them coming. Um, DR, just your final word on this, really, the, the, the style we're playing. You're quite critical, I think it's fair to say, in terms of, in terms of how Palace do. Um, while we try and ignore the huge amount of noise from Alex, I'm going to set him on fire. I really am. Um, <laughs> but, but obviously, you must like. I know you don't like results at the moment, but you must like the way we're playing. Yeah, I do. Especially yesterday, when we for the first and especially for the second goal, we were constantly passing and moving, and it did work out very well. Um, it was lots of one one touch passes, and that's how we did break down Everton when we did and. I kind of like the style. It's not boring. It's it's fairly exciting. But then again, it's the outcome from it that matters. And we are creating chances. I'll give you that. But it's the results that's not coming. And that's the most worrying part about it. Yeah, we're going to get into why that was. I mean, of course, the start of the game, um, I think 53 seconds, I think, is the is the time on the clock for when MacArthur puts the ball in the back of the net. Great work, of course, from, from Loftus-Cheek. Um, good run, very good skills in the box, you know, quick change of feet. Shot wasn't perfect, you know, re- realistically, you've you, you got to say, had MacArthur not followed up and scored, that's a huge chance wasted. But Pickford choosing to punch it uh, when he might have sort of tipped it round. So I suppose that's kind of an argument on goalkeepers. I don't know whether it's certainly certain keepers like to sort of to punch the ball out rather than the old-fashioned tip it round the post. But... Um, I'm glad he did. Punched it straight to MacArthur, who just sorts his feet out and finishes very, very well. And you know, you can see the the players. I think for the it's for the first time in a in a while, other than of course the the Chelsea game that they've they've gone up and, and got, got ahead in a game, got ahead in a game really early on. So we're not dealing with this. We've got to come from behind to win a game, all that sort of stuff. So obviously extremely positive. And um, I, I suppose you can't say it was deserved because it was pretty much the, the, the first move of the game, Patrick. Yeah, but we deserve an early goal at some point this season. But um, getting to the cheek, I really um, am pleased with how he's played you know, obviously for Palace and also for England. And I want to bring up a point with Chris about he had made it, he had been interviewed, I think it was either before the match or maybe it was after. And he had talked about why he hasn't, why he can't play a lot of games in a row. I didn't realise he was, he thought he had a back injury apparently since he was like 16 years old. And I think one of the reasons why we got him was because I think Chelsea wanted to kind of see how he would be able to play over a full season. Because obviously when you're at Chelsea and that young, you only play maybe once a month. But for us, he's played now, you know, he played last match against Tottenham, then he played the two England games or game and a half then, and then yesterday um, and I'm thinking that the reason we got him you know and the ability to get him was because they want to see if he can actually handle the grind of you know a game you know two games a week sometimes maybe a, a, a game three, three four matches in a row and that back thing might be a problem for him going forward because apparently like I say it kind of seizes up on him you know at different points and he has to kind of uh, manage it better so again I like the way he's playing for us I hope he can get through the season uninjured but it's interesting to see the, the reasoning why he's actually not played that much for Chelsea I thought it was just because he was too young but it's part of it is, is because of an injury he carries yeah it's an interesting um, to, to hear that I, I think I must have missed that I, I'm sure I'm, it, it does ring true um, you know and I think a lot of their fans were quite upset that they let him leave um, William too by the way um, William made a comment about it too. Oh, okay but I did I did I did see um, 
Loftus Cheek talk after the game and say because he's playing more, he's feeling stronger and he's feeling more confident. Exactly. And obviously, the, obviously, the England game has really, really kicked his confidence on. Alex, obviously, uh, is an imp- impressive run, but noticeably, it was a run through the centre coming in from the right hand side. So it's pretty clear that's where he should be playing. Yeah, I, I, I would prefer him in the middle, and I feel like the return of Benteke would be good for him because it would mean that he would be pushed into the middle and. Really, he'll have more of the ball and he won't have to track back. I know the criticism around Loftus-Cheek is always that he doesn't track back. So if he is in that in the middle of Benteke, uh, he'll have that free role and he won't be expected to track back. Um, I think he's got an outstanding first touch. He's at, his first touch is r- ridiculous at times. He's, he's great at chesting the ball and it means that he just finds that half a yard of space, which some of oh, the rest of our players in our squad, I don't think, can do that. So, yeah, he's a, he's a joy to watch and I think we've just got to joy or join him joy him while we can until you know he, he heads back to Chelsea in the summer thanks thanks Alex and DI what really pleased me about that and I'm sure you're the same it's not just the fact that Loftus-Cheek has got into the box and had a shot it's the fact that there was so much support up there and that's the only reason MacArthur has, has got that goal it's because he's gambled at that back post isn't it yeah, you have to give credit to MacArthur as well because he was there and he was waiting for Pickford to make that mistake and he did and his reaction skills were brilliant. He slotted slotted it in and yeah, you have to give credit to majority of the players, not only MacArthur because there were, our team was all the way up the pitch and there was options there and yeah, it was good. It was what I said earlier, the style where there was lots of one-twos and lots of options which is good on Roy Hodgson. So there we go. Palace won up in the game, and um, I think after afterwards, it wasn't really wasn't too long until we got pegged back, pegged back. But just for that brief spell, um, you know, we were playing confident football. We looked like a you know a team that could potentially go on and win a game comfortably. Everton looked nervous. They looked poor. They didn't seem to want to pass. They didn't seem to want the ball. So things were lit, really, really looking good. And then, well, then they get a, a huge, huge helping hand from a refereeing decision that is just baffling. And we'll talk about the detail at the moment. But uh, Omar Nias, of course, someone we tried to sign. Um, let's not go back there for now. We'll come back to that later. Um, just runs, uh, he's running at four Palace defenders. He's pretty much on his own. There's no one really around him. So it, it doesn't feel like it's a dangerous situation. It really doesn't. But he drives into the box as the defenders back off. And Dan goes to step across him and Niesse falls to the ground. Nias falls to the ground. I keep changing the way I pronounce his name. Um, falls to the ground and as, as the players kind of walk off, almost laughing at the fall, referee sickles for a penalty. Um, absolutely baffling. And, and Dio, I'm going to go to you first of all. Sitting there in, in the Holmesdale, you're probably looking right at that nice and close. What are you thinking? <laughs> no, I'm not in home, though. That's, um, that was oh, Alex. That's yeah, I'm, I'm in the Alpha. So I had to view which the referee had. And to be honest, I I did think it was a penalty because it happened so quick and it did seem like Scott Down went in. So as as ridiculous as it might sound, I don't think it's the referee's fault because if you're under that pressure and you have only one or two seconds to make a decision, if I was a referee, I would have gave it as well. It's more Niasse's fault. And I'm not saying the referee had a perfect game, but... After looking at replays, of course, it was a dive. But at the moment, I genuinely thought it was a penalty. And I can see where the referee, um, why the referee gave it. I hate you, DR. Alex, make me, uh, <laughs> make me happy again. And then well, we'll talk I, to Patrick. I can see from DR's angle, um, 
that it looks like a penalty. But from my angle, obviously, I'm looking at it front on and I could see the dramatic fall by Nias, and I don't think it is a penalty. But to be honest, it's it's our own fault in the first place. We should not have given him the opportunity to make that dive. We we do not we did not need to 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 barge in there. He was running away from goal, and it was it was it was it was absolutely stupid to be honest. And um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I I, I know I've mentioned this. Um, in the past, about uh, VAR in terms of the success that uh, it's it's bringing to Italian football, especially, um, you know, obviously they have a TV screen at the side of the pitch, and for these types of incidents, um, they're reviewed by referees straight after the incident. And I feel that if we had, if the, I've always been a massive. Um, um, I've always been against advocate. Well, and I, I've been against. Oh no! VAR. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm the opposite. Um, sorry. Um, and the opposite then, of an advocate. <laughs> opposite an advocate. Yes. Uh, but then actually seeing it in action in Serie A, it actually it does make sense for 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 situations and incidents like this. Um, and I don't know. I feel that if there was that technology, I've got a feeling that would not have been a penalty. It would have been reviewed, and it would not have been a penalty just because of. The, the theatrics of Nias and, and that the fact there was not a lot of contact there. Well, we'll come back to, to video-assisted refereeing in, in just a second. Patrick, first of all, come on, mate. What are they, what are they talking about in terms of it, it seeing it could be given as a penalty? I don't know what Anthony Taylor is. He's, he's four feet away. And the only thing I can say, he might have seen the arm come across, but there's no way that's a penalty kick. And, and he's so close, I don't know how he misses it um, at that speed. Um it's obvious that he takes a theatrical drive dive after. I mean, you know, I get the benefit of watching it on TV, you know, 20 million times if I want to. I can watch a replay. And the commentator said right away that it wasn't a penalty. They said it right away and they didn't see the replay. Then they replayed it and said he obviously, you know, d- took a dive. So I don't understand how Anthony Taylor, who's literally four feet away, could call that a penalty kick. Um, so I, I thought it was, a, it was a horrible decision. I'm thinking about uh, back to if Wilfred ever get a call like that and how many people would call him a diver for doing stuff like that. And yeah, the fact yeah. that Nias does that is ridiculous. And I don't, again, I don't understand. The only thing I, could, I, can, I can blame Scott Dan for the challenge because he does put his arm kind of across the body. But not enough for the guy to go down and fall like he's been shot in the... I mean, it was almost bad as, as Stonegrass's penalty kick. It was, it yeah. was really bad. So I, I, I can't see that as a penalty kick. And I'm with Alex. VR cleans it up right away. It just does. It does. Oh, 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 it was oh, definitely... There's definitely a couple of things in there that I, I do want to acknowledge. The first of all is when Alex was talking about the fact we shouldn't have let that happen in the first place. In particular, I would say allowing him into the penalty area. That's, you know, he, he's, it, it's too easy for him to walk into the area. You know, if you're going to commit a foul, if, you, you commit outside the box. And, and yep. that's that's when you step across. You don't backpedal into your own penalty area, you know, and, and, and you've got to look at Scott Dan for that. And, and, you know, there's a lot of times during this game we look at Scott Dan and we'll certainly come to that a bit later on. Um, but but beyond that, when we start talking about, and I know DR wants to make a point on this, but when we talk, start talking about understanding why the referee's given it and all that kind of thing, the, the step across is so... You know, you kind of think, oh, it's unnecessary. It, it isn't. There's, that's football, right? And I, I don't mean... I, I, I just mean you can't do... Uh, Peter Reid on uh, Goals on Sunday, I'll give you an example of this. He saw it, the first time he saw it was live on air and he, and he laughed. He laughed his head off, basically. <laughs> right? And then you, you can't... He was, they were all making the point in there that you can't go into a... When you're moving about, your arms move. You, you right. don't. You don't have your arms flat at your sides. And when you go to step across a player, you you try. You do try to use your body, but that's football. It's a contact sport. You know, when you put your arm across a, an onrushing player, they can they can complain, 
right? But most of the most, you know, out on the pitch, it doesn't even get given as a foul, generally speaking. But certainly in the penalty area, it never gets given. You know, I think they said 99 out of 100 referees wouldn't have given it. I was over on Match of the Day or, or Goals on Sunday who, who made that, you know, obviously it's not a statistical measurement, but they're saying that point, right? But, you know, we have to get the one in 100 that does. But exactly. It's also, it's the reaction of the ass. You've got to see that from where Taylor is. You've got to look at that and think, that is ludicrous. He's, <laughs> he's bounced. He's actually sort of bounced backwards. <laughs> like It's like as if, as if Scott Dan's sort of forearm smashed him. It's just absolutely pathetic. He's you a blood in the arse. That's what he is. <laughs> he is. <laughs> nice like, come at me, DR, come on. Yeah, but Chris... Li- li- but the way I saw it, I know Alex saw it front on, but if you're looking from behind and if your eyes are... The way Nias was running, it was literally... The referee was in front of me. Of course, I was not on the pitch, but I was behind him. But the way I saw it, it was Scott Dan that made the situation worse. And I can't blame the referee for that. You have to blame the player like Nias because the way Scott Dan came in, it I could see Nias, if he did touch him, I could see Nias may, actually having that impact and actually rolling, but he didn't touch him. And he played out very well. So... I don't think it's the referee's fault. It happened too quickly. And the way he dived, it threw away instantly. The referee said that's a penalty because Scott Dan moved in. So I don't think it's the referee's fault. Well, I, well, I absolutely do. And I think, you know, if, if he understood the game properly, and that's a, a criticism labelled at a lot of referees, just understanding how, you know, how physical movement happens on a football pitch. I think you can pretty much look straight away at a number of factors there. Like I say, the, the exaggerated fall, the... You know, the fact that Dan is pretty much a walking pace, it's just, it's not, you know, it's not good defending. I'll give you that, but you can't excuse the referee. I totally agree with you, however, that you've got to blame the player as well. It's a disgusting thing to to do. It really is. Uh, But he's benefited from it in the end. Uh, Last word on this, Patrick. Yeah, Chris, and they mentioned over here um, about having it go retrospective review of that Nias dive. So what happens if he gets, you know, done for three games? Do Do we get two points? Right, or or we proven to be right, but what's that? How's that going to help us? Because my point is, if he gets retrospective act uh, uh, diving, then obviously, you know, it was a very poor decision. And maybe Anthony Johnson, Anthony uh, Taylor gets the, the, the League One next week, hopefully. Well, well, what happens if you know those two points end up relegating us? Do exactly. we do we do we see Anthony Taylor and Omar Nias in court being sued for 120 million quid lost revenue? Do we? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it's it's uh, where the floodgates open. I'm you know I'm, I'm being mischievous there, but um, so l- l- little chat with you, Alex, as you mentioned, uh, video assisted referee, and I know Patrick's in support of that. Mm. Um, you know, just just for the benefit of those who haven't seen it, I've I've seen the little the little little jog over to the screen at the side of the yep. pitch. It doesn't really delay anything like people feared. Mm. Is, are there any are there any negatives that you can think of? You've, you've you know you've nailed your colours to the mask and said it's positive. Is there any way it's a ne- there's a negative there? It does it does disrupt the flow of the game. And you know, for some challenging decisions, obviously that that does add on a few minutes. So you're getting games that you know finish 15 minutes after they were supposed to. They would normally end without VAR. So if there's a way of reviewing the the VAR technology and making sure that it's only for those types of decisions, because I've seen VAR be used for just just for every type of decision, and then it basically it. Basically, what it does is it, it it goes against the authority of the referee. So, if they if they are able to, I think this year is obviously a bedding in process in Serie A and the Bundesliga. Um, but I feel with time and with 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 better processes, I feel that they will be 
the the review process will be at a minimum and the the, the flow of the game won't be disrupted too much. So, you know, I, I do feel that if that did go to VAR, that wouldn't be a penalty. And, and you know, we'd be talking a palace, about a Palace win there. So I feel it, it, we've got a few years to go, though, until that's going to be introduced to the Premier League. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, it, yeah it, 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 it just creates a, a, a spectacle. And I feel that the Premier League will be missing the trick on that front. So Well, absolutely, yeah. You give, there is an, ent- an entertainment value there, particularly if you get it up on the big screen at games. But then there's also a worry that people will turn against the referee and all that kind of stuff. But, mm. yeah, there's but I suppose on the... The other side of it, when you look, it's about consequences for me, and and the consequences are so big about yeah. wrong decisions. And and re- really, it's you know we're sort of, I'm sort of laying into a referee, but I also acknowledge that that referee's got a terribly difficult job in an incredibly high pressure situation. So having any kind of assistance, particularly assistance that's precise, the only thing that really worries me is if they look at the video replay and uh, and it muddies the waters further. What do they do there? Do they have to guess or? stick with the original decision or anything like that. I don't know what the the real format is, but... It's, it should um, be for game-changing decisions, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should be for yeah. things like that or it should be for offsides, uh, which lead to goals, I feel. like anywhere, Anything else, let's leave it out. But for things like this, for, for things that could cost a club, um, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds, it's necessary. And I feel that for, for decisions like this, it should be useful. What's well, so views on this in the chat room before we get DR's view too? Yeah, a couple of uh, a little bit of debate going on in the chat room. Um, Toby Reed twenty four doesn't really disrupt anything. Fifteen minutes question mark. If it's used fifteen times, then uh, J Dog three VAR either use it for key decisions or just re- get rid of the referees on the pitch and use VR instead. Toby Reed twenty four. I'd rather have every decision correct and add a couple of minutes max than be pissed off losing points in most games. Totally agree on that, um, Toby Reed. And the last one is. Booted Eagle thought we already have VR at Palace. Very awful refs. Nice one. <laughs> Good stuff, Booty. <laughs> Love perfect. Before <laughs> um, again, Dion's view on that. Um, I just, I, I do want to acknowledge one thing. I used to be very much in the camp of human error is part of football. We see errors from players. We see errors from managers. Definitely see, you know, those those errors quite a lot. And you know, a refereeing error, you kind of, I kind of used to be a bit more philosophical about it, but I'll go back to what I was saying about consequences. I, I still, I just feel it's, you know, I can't just accept it as part of the game now, particularly when there's, I see referees who have allowed, should we say, the personalities of other teams and other players influence their decisions. That's where it really needs intervention. Uh, anyway, Dion, your views before we move on? Yeah. Um, Trying to look at the negative side of VAR is that, yes, yesterday it might have worked for us, but in other days it might not work for us. So, yes, yesterday we might have got additional two points, but in other days we might lose two points. So, there's that side as well. And also, I feel like I'm I'm not a massive fan of VAR, but slightly I'm more going towards it. I'm in favour of it. Um, it's, the, it's just the... Um, I lost my head of thought now. Uh, I know you, you mentioned it was uh, something that happens in NBA. Yeah, it's a different yeah, it's a different uh, type of game. But yeah, looking at yesterday, I would want it because on NBA the way it happens is that it happens so quick, so it doesn't disrupt the flow of the game. There's an headquarters and and uh, the referee just contacts them and it just happens uh, quickly. So I would be for it, but then at days when it does go against us, then we'll all moan saying, "Oh, VAR sports football." <laughs> <laughs> I'd like it acknowledged. I dug you out of a hole there, Patrick. Yeah, last thing. Here in America, Chris, every major sport, hockey, basketball, baseball, football, all use VAR. 
in some form and so to major league soccer so it's not something that hasn't been used in this country for a long time and, and it works and you'll have you seen an improvement in the um standard of play and people don't complain at all as much over here about refereeing decisions that they do you know in uh, in football in europe so i think it's gonna it's only a matter of time yeah, you're probably right. But what about all the songs we like to sing about referees, eh? What are we going to do now? The referees are wet. All right, let's uh, let's move this on now. Uh, I want to talk about the, the, the goal scored by Wilfred Zaha to put us 2-1 up. Again, after the little boost Everton got from the goal, um, it didn't last particularly long. And once again, the quality of Palace's play and the, you know, I suppose the determination, the aggression and, and you know, as I said, the quality, the technique was higher than than Everton were able to produce, um, even with the money they spent in the summer. We, we just looked a far, far better team. And as we started to get that slick passing going, we looked more and more dangerous. And it was just a great little move, a little bit of one-touch football in the middle, you know, before the ball was spread out to Ward. And Ward's crossing is something that I've slated repeatedly on this show. But this time, it was, it was superb. I mean, you, you go back to, you know, the way they look on a match of the day and all that about De Bruyne's crossing. He actually pulls one of those out of the bag. It's perfect. It's, you know, the height is brilliant. The angle is great. The little curl away from the keeper so he can't come to it. And it's right on Zaha's foot for him to tuck away. And, you know, Zaha's really been enjoying scoring goals. And, you know, he's he's, he's threatening every game, if, if not scoring. And there's a couple of little things I want to talk about from that goal. But the first, if I may, gents, is actually Zaha's prowess up front. Um, He's starting to start to finish well, isn't he, Alex? Yeah, he is. He's um, he's he's obviously our most potent uh, performer, isn't he? And he's a player that we deeply, deeply rely on to 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 get us out of games and and get us points. And yeah, uh, you know, obviously, I thought like he's 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 makes he's made that left side position his own he, he he suits his system and i feel with someone like bed techie up top it only help but just just to go back on ward uh chris i feel that ward is one of those players that's very good uh instinctively do you know what I mean? he's a player where if he's got not a lot of time to think about something he'll do well um yeah. i don't know if you remember when he scored i think he scored at Celeste. uh was it against qpr like a little half volley and it was a great finish. I think it was like not not last season, the season before, and um, that there was just basically proof there that it's just when he's got not a lot of time to think of something, and it's all about instincts with Ward. He seems to do really well, and that that ball that he put into to Zaha was was outstanding. Obviously, it was you know right position in between the goalkeeper and the defender, and, and it was just put on a plate there for, for Ward and you know I, I'm not sure if Ward's capable of bombing up and down that that flank and we saw we obviously saw that under De Boer that De Boer wanted him to be a wing back he doesn't come, come across like that but if he's a player that you know just doesn't think about what he's going to do you know he, can, he could come on to put a good ball in the box you know yes, it's a scam it's a really good observation and, and you know you, you can I can actually think of a, a few moments off the top of my head there's moments of absolute you know, brilliant skill, like really close control and things like that that I can think about in various games that Ward has done instinctively. And then I think about when he has time to measure across. You think you have to think if, he, if that ball had sort of come to his feet and he's static, it would probably, you know, he would have rolled yeah. the ball out of his feet and it would have gone a long looping cross to the back post. But you're absolutely right. He's hit it on the run. He's not thought about it too much. And again, perfect cross for Zaha to finish. Uh, Patrick, you, you've got something to say on the goal. Yeah, so much good about that goal, Chris. I, I love the fact that uh, Wilf's not only started the movie, finished it. 
you guys are spot on. It's a beautiful ball by Ward. I, I, you know, I, I played and coached, and I love players that can put a ball in first time low on the ground because it's, it's a dangerous ball because the defenders find it hard to, you know, to defend it. Like again, yesterday, the Everton player she slipped on that play, and the finish by Wolf, he hit it with the inside of his right foot. Normally, you'd let it roll out to your right, your left foot, and just side foot in, but just a great finish and. I'm really impressed with his efficient this year. You know, obviously the Tottenham match, you know, that, that, that goal that he missed, you know, that happens. But I think he can be a 15-20 goal scorer in the Premier League because he gets into positions where he can score. And, you know, as a child, he was, I mean, as a child, a younger player, he was, he was you know, he was a goal scorer. You know, he moved to the wing when he came to, you know, when he got older in Palace. But I really think that Wolves got so much potential to get a lot more goals this year. And your point before about MacArthur being in a box, we have to start doing that more often. We can get... Townsend, MacArthur, Rothschild in a box more on balls like that, lower balls as opposed to the, the headed balls. We're going to score a lot more goals and hopefully, like I said, it will lead to a lot more victories. Yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more confident about Hodgson finding a way of keeping Zahaiden around the sort of penalty area uh, as, mu- as much as out in the wing than I was De Boer. I don't think I don't think that system was working with Benteke yeah. in there, but with Benteke there as a kind of battering ram and also someone who takes up good positions inside the box, but again, trying to do it all on his own, he was getting all sorts of grief um, before he was injured for just not looking dangerous. And I, and I know um, Bobby Eagles got in touch on Twitter earlier on, and I think this is a valid point, by the way. I'm not having a go at you, Bobby. You've said, uh, whatever else occurs, Benteke could have got us a win late on more than once. Maybe Rusty, but needs to get his head straight. And I think that the point I'm picking out of that, obviously we haven't got to the point in the game where he's missed a couple of chances, but... I think the getting his head straight is the thing. You know, it, it took um, it took a strong performance for Belgium last season for him to come back and start firing in the goals for us properly. Um, he, he seems to need some sort of a lift from somewhere. Now, he's not played under Hodgson, so we get to see how Hodgson's going to structure a team to play with Benteke starting. And I'm actually really excited to see that. Obviously, we've talked probably over the last few weeks about our own ideas. And I know we're going to have a chat about that again a little bit later on. Uh, Alex, you want last little point on Zaha, then we'll talk to DR. I'm not sure if I was, I'm thinking back correctly here, but do you remember when there was all that uh, stick that Pardew got for putting, for putting Will from the left? And I think it was all around Townsend wanting to be... Uh, um, yeah. on the right hand side. Right yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 I, and I just feel out like having Will from the left is so much better. It's just so much better for him as a player. It means that he can find that half yard of space and, and score a lot more goals. And I feel like over the last six months, since since obviously Pardew's left, um, you know, he's he looks, it's, it suits his game so much better having him on the left hand side. So, yeah, yeah that, there we go. It's just something that actually maybe Pardew did some right there. He managed to put, nurture. Was Zaha on the left-hand side, and and you know he's he's you know we're seeing the rewards from it, aren't we? So yeah, I, I think to be honest, when you go back to that situation, I think you have to go back to the player that Townsend was at the time. You know, he he wasn't impressing. No. You know, he wasn't putting the effort in that he puts in now. You know, he he looked low on quality, low on confidence, and people felt that we were accommodating Townsend and damage. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Jing Zaha in that system, I think that that was the criticism at the time. Mm. But um, like you say, he's certainly. I mean, Zaha can play either side and through the middle. Yeah. That's he's fine. You stick him in an attacking position, and that's all you have to worry about. But I think that, yeah, like I say, I think that was probably more about uh, how Townsend wanted to play. But um, yeah, so uh, Dr, you haven't had a chance to talk about that the, the second goal. I mean, what did you make of the move and, and the finish, and obviously Ward's part in it as well, because you've been as critical as I think as, as I have of Ward. Yeah, um, it was a. As as I've said before, yeah, I'm saying the same things over and over again, but it's just a style of play. That's what helped us because it was Zaha to Townsend and straight away he gives it back to Townsend. And the pass from Townsend to Ward is that is absolutely brilliant. It's spot on and Ward does it first time cross and Zaha slots it in. It was fantastic. If it was probably one of the bigger teams, let's say Man City or someone else doing that, there might be more prayers around social media and more teams more people talking about it but as his palace not many people are talking about it, but it's absolutely superb goal it, it was you're right superb goal and, and it put us in a position that we richly deserved and we looked to be going in at half time 2-1 up and um, obviously we know we weren't and we'll talk about that in just a moment but I think I think if we go in 2-1 up I think we we go on to win that game really very very comfortably and uh, you know it, it would have been just it's just how things are going for us at the moment and it's almost inexplicable so let's talk about it um Everton kind of pressing towards the the end of the half ball ends up with Spironi and uh I you know I am probably going to get coated for this in a number of ways to use Joe's phrase because I know I was in the minority of how I thought this incident played out uh, in our Homesdale radio chat on the day. Um, and I also know that there's going to be points made about how we treat Spironi and Hennessy differently and all this kind of stuff. But whilst I would prefer not to see Spironi do what he did, he's I think he's been successful in dummying the forward. And I think there's some suggestion that I think I can't remember. I saw it. Someone had written it today that he was told, you know, he's been told not to play the ball long, right? Correct, right? So the tech is not up there. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think there's nothing for me. There's nothing glaring about it other than the fact that he's chosen Scott Dan to pass to. I, I think, but I don't think, in my view, Dan wasn't wasn't it wasn't a hospital pass right it wasn't one of those where by the time the ball hits Dan someone's right on him because Dan had time to take a touch and he chose to take a touch and turn 
Now, he can go back to Spironi if he's not comfortable. He can knock it either side of him if he's not comfortable. But So I have to ask questions, and it's not just of Scott Dan. I have to ask questions of the players around Scott Dan. Because has anyone told him what his options are? Because that's what you do. Um, you know, you, you make sure if a player is receiving a ball in a difficult position, you can shout things like get rid, back to keeper, play it square, anything you like, just some sort of communication to let him know what to do. Because he behaves like he's got all the time in the world to turn and run with the ball. And he hasn't. The ball gets taken off of him. It find, it's played into Nias, who's completely free, well on the side. And obviously Jules is, is, is out of the goal, trying to narrow the angle, and it's an easy pass around him into the net. And all of, all of our fantastic play and great work is undone, and it's undone at the worst possible time. It's pretty much the last kick of the half, and you just, you just know that's a punch in the stomach. That's why a draw felt like a defeat. It was horrific. I know Stephen Rodin just tweeted in that exact point, so I'll give you a quick shout-out for that. It did feel like a defeat, to that, that draw. It really did. Um, so I'm going to go to you first, uh, Patrick, on, uh, on, on your views. Yeah, um, Chris, spot on everything you just said. Um, the thing was... Um, Jules did have an option to go to Saka wide left, and if, if you if you if you watch the play go on, the reason why Nias is on side because Saka so far left that keeps him on side. But having said that, I agree with you. I don't think it was a terrible play to make, considering we've been playing at the back the entire match, and he was told not to do it allegedly. Either way, um, Stan Dan's heads down. There are three converging uh, Everton plays. He has he has the option of going either quickly or his right towards Saka, left towards um, Ward or um, Kabai is dropping to collect the ball. He does neither. He gets the ball gets taken off him. So that can't happen. So as much as um, you know, people again are going to say it's Brony's fault. If you if you watch it and watch it again, I've watched it. I'm watching it actually right now <laughs> on my laptop to my left. Um, the, he he had options. He just had his head down and get and, and he gets nicked. And you're right. It's gutting because they have such the worst time of the game. And I agree with you. If we don't give up that goal, we go and probably go into go on to win three one. Right after the half, uh, the second half started, uh, Sparrow made a great save off Calvert-Lewin. It kept us at 2-2. That goes to maybe lose 3-2. So to kill Jules on that is uh, difficult. Again, at the time, I was I, I, I tweeted out that old Jules, and I was, and if it was Hennessy, I would have been you know, 10 times as upset. But I really believe that it wasn't as bad a play as people make it out to be because of the fact that Dan just picked the wrong option when he got the ball. And to boot it long, who does to say to boot it long, it doesn't come right back and score anyway. So yeah, to me, it, it was more of the... Dan decision, and again, your point about him, if people talking, there were three players around him, Ward, uh, Ward, Sacco, and Kabai all could have given him a shout as to, you know, get clear or whatever, and it seemed like no one told him anything, so if you're not playing with players that help you out, it becomes much more difficult. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, we go back to that thing we talk about a lot when you're on Patrick's, which is game management by the players. It's how, exactly. you know, yeah. Roy Hodgson on the, on the touchlines, yes, you know, he might well have given an instruction of don't hit it long because <laughs> Benteke's not up there, right, but, but, but he can't he can't say that, you know, you don't expect someone to say in every situation that's the case. You know, exactly. you know what I mean? Exactly. If, if you're, you know, like you, say, like you said, there's several Everton players pressing the ball. So, and you know, they're trying desperately to get back into it before half time, And we handed it to him. You know, and I do, I do think Jules deserves a deserving of some criticism because his age and experience, you do think, has he, has he totally understood what he's doing? Has he totally, has he thought about the next couple of steps in that? Uh, Rather than, you know, there's, I think, I think you can question that. And I think you're allowed to, in spite of Jules's reputation. And to just, I'm not going to spend any time on it. I just want to do a quick nod to the, the fact that we treat Spironi different to Hennessy. Yes, we do. And that's because Julian Spironi has got 
10 years plus of fantastic performances behind him for Palace and we love him and, and Wayne has never impressed us to that degree as, as, a, as a group I would say um, but I would also point out exactly as Patrick has done that there were two saves that Julius Bray made in that game that were absolutely critical and were excellent saves and saves that I would question whether we would have seen from Wayne Hennessy so that is, is why we treat Julius very different to Wayne Hennessy. But I would like to get your views, DR, because you were one who uh, who focused on Spironi then. And, and then we'll get pop to Patrick for the chat room after and then to Alex. Yeah, um, I understand where the criticism for Dan is coming from. But initially, it was basically half time. If Jules kicked that, it would have been half time. And then again, all right, he did make a short pass to Scott Dan, but. If Scott Dan didn't see, why didn't Jules see that there was around there was three Everton players that were short and that was kind of, I'll say close to all the def- all defenders, to Scott Dan especially. So by him seeing that, why didn't he just kick it out? He made it complicated. Yes, um, I know Scott Dan. He had a bit of time. He was not instantly shut uh, closed down, um, and maybe players could have called it out. But it was it started from Jules and. That's why I think the main fault is from Jules's aspect because he saw the whole pitch. He saw the players, uh, Everton players, and he saw where Scott Dan was. And he, uh, well, he could kind of roughly tell that how many minutes are left. So if he just kicked it out, um, it wouldn't happen. It's it is a good point you make, particularly around, around the, the timing. You know, it, you know, the last possible moment of the half, you, you're right. You know, and I, and I sort of hinted at it with the the experience comment I made about, about Julius Brony, where perhaps that should have come into consideration. And that's where he's worth, worthy of criticism. I still think, I still think that looking ahead, looking at the whole pitch, as you rightly point out, he can see, I think he's obviously, he knows Dan's got time and Dan did have time. You know, you can probably count three to four full seconds of Dan being in possession of the ball before it's taken off of him. And that for me just it just shifts more of the error that way than it does to to Spironi. But whatever happens, we're talking about a, a, an error of the team, particularly around the defence. It's just not good enough. It just isn't right, you know. And that in our position, you know, as, as much as I love how we're playing, and I, I can see so many positives in in Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace. We, we, it just keeps the same gap between us and Everton. It's, it, we're five points adrift at the bottom of the table, and it's um, it continues our struggles and and it, it affects confidence and belief. Um, you're going to come back at me, Dr. Before we go to the chat room. Yeah. So, Chris, what would you have liked Dan to do in that situation? Um, well, I, I think Dan had two real clear options available to him, right? And the the one that I think he should have gone with was an immediate pass back to Julian Speroni. Because he was facing Spironi. He was facing that way. No one was, you know, it wasn't like Spironi was being closed down again immediately. He should have knocked it back to Julian Spironi and screamed, clear it, you know? And I would have liked to have seen that, particularly as the captain. That's where I would go. Yeah, yes, but where where did the tackle happen? It's not like it's not like uh, a player came straight onto Dan from front of him and tackled him. The actual tackle came, came in from behind. So you can't blame Dan for a tackle coming from behind. He doesn't know that. And what what the other players on the pitch, especially Jules, because he had the full picture of who's where, is that first the defenders should have called for it. And if well, I know what Jules should have done. He should have kicked it. So 
it's not all Scott Dan's fault. It's more about the players around him as well because the tackle came in from behind. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. I think I would say it came came in from the side as Dan was turning away, was turning away. But I know, look, I know exactly what you mean, and I've pretty much, pretty much agreed with you. Other than the fact that I do think the responsibility with Dan is is there because I think even without a shout. You know he should be he should have a degree of awareness of, of, about what's happening around him. He should be switched on to the very last moment of the half, and he shouldn't be taking sort of two three touches yeah. before being tackled in that position. Go on, Alex. That, that's that's what I was going to say. He doesn't need to take two touches there. One touch is enough, and just get get the ball out. All the dad's got to do is just keep the ball out. He doesn't know where he's, he's lost lost his bearings completely. He does not need two touches there. It's Dan's fault. Full stop. I'm not having that because. Dan should just get rid of the ball. It's a, it's a tricky position in the pitch. Get it out. Just kick it out for God's sake. Like, and 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 like like I've said in the past, Chris, there's not enough leaders in this side. You know, I know we're playing outstanding football, but there's not enough leaders. Uh, give, give, name me a leader in our side. Luka Milivojevic. Yeah, okay, Luka. But then obviously he's he's been he's he's been hit and miss this season. I just like he's just like saying his name. Finding yeah. a bit of form. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, anyway, look. But I'm, I'm just saying, yeah. there's no leaders in this team. And the fact, if there was a leader in this side, someone would have said, you, you know, get rid of the ball, get rid of the ball as soon as you get it, Dan. And the fact that there there isn't a leader to tell Dan to kick rid of the ball, it, it, it's a cause of, cause of a concern, I think. Yeah, well, Dan's the one who should be doing the telling. But Dr, he wants to come straight back at you. You'll have to wait, chat room people. <laughs> well, the fact that the fact that you're telling Dan for uh, is Dan's fault because he didn't kick the ball out, then. Can't you say it's Sproni's fault? Because if you want Dan to do the same thing that I want Sproni to do, can't you say it's Sproni's fault as well? Because I'm saying Sproni should have cooked the ball out instead of giving it to Dan. But so your, I guess your idea is that Sproni passes Dan and Dan kicks out. What difference does it make from Jules? Let's just say, out? let's just say that happened at a different point in the game. Let's just say that happened the first twenty minutes. We'd be still. I'd, I'd still say the same thing. It, it doesn't it matter happen. if it's a forty-fifth minute. It doesn't matter. Sproni's been told to not kick the ball out. He's been told to keep the ball on the floor and try and start attacks from the back. You know, we've got players like Sacco, who who, who obviously is he's, he's, he's a bit erratic sometimes, but his range of passing is outstanding. We've got Luca, we've got Kabai, both great passes of the ball. We shouldn't be lumping it forward. There's no striker up top to lump it up forward to. Wilf, Wilf's not great in the air, right? So, so what else can we do? We have to keep it on the floor, and it it doesn't make sense. Sproni lumping out there. Yeah, I think presumably as well, it isn't just like the keeper who's told we're going to play it out from the back on the floor. I think, argue, I, I would say Scott Dan must be aware that that's going to happen as well. Um, again, I just look. Bottom line is, whoever's you 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 know, we're talking about the blame game here. I mean, ultimately, it's a collective responsibility. Um, it was a strange, strange passage of play it was odd that Julian did what he did because you know he's he's had problems with that in the past against the, the same opponents as people have um, excuse me as people have pointed out and um it's just odd that Dan sort of you know he was very pedestrian when when he got the ball you know he, he should you know looking at it now you kind of think again we've got the benefit of hindsight we know it results in a goal but I don't think when he's received that ball he has any clue that he's in any sort of danger at all. He hasn't felt when Julian Sperani's passed him that ball that he's in a difficult position. So again, we go back to who talked to him, who told him what the situation was, who gave him a man on shirt, who said back to keeper, who said clear it, you know, no, seemingly no one. So collectively, they've all got to get better. Let's get some chat room stuff, Patrick, and then we'll get some Facebook comments and move on from this debacle. 
Well, I apologize because in the in the interim, it scrolled all the way up, so I've missed yeah, some it, of the good comments. It, it anyway, um, I feel Eagle should be looking a younger pace this centre forward in January. Um, I guess that's a possibility. Toby V twenty four. Sacco is very lucky at the moment. He has had some hairy moments, but nothing has led to a goal yet. Only amount of time like yesterday and against Chelsea. Uh, yeah, Eagle eighty nine. The late goals we give away is criminal. J Dog three. Uh, Dan has to get rid of the ball. Why shouldn't Jules? I foot eagle again. Should we be looking? Okay, so really sorry. Uh, J Dog three again. Dan has shown himself as clumsy. Sacco does too many heart in mouth bits. Can we get back to hit it and kick it? And lastly, has yeah. forever. Jules can get rid of the ball further up the field with Dan, meaning Everton have further to get to our goal. Kick it out for an Everton throw up the pitch. Yeah, no, there's, look, they're, they're all valid points, and again, with the benefit of hindsight, we can all point at what should have happened. But ultimately, exactly. they, you know, ultimately, we have made mistakes, whoever it was. Um, but thank you for your comments, everyone, on those uh, Facebook comments, dear. Yeah, Linda drew us. It's Brony, great keeper, but his mistake uh, should have kicked it into Rosette. Tim Warren said, uh, game management, uh, beat it long at that time of the match. Uh, Ashley Steer has said it's Dan's for all day long and Luke Baston I guess he's uh, responded to me said okay agree the tackle comes in from behind but if you doled for as long as he did a tackle will always come in from behind and yeah I do see where you're coming from with that but it wasn't that long it was a few seconds so and the way it's throwing possible I guess Dan thought he was in the clear so that's my thinking behind it but yeah uh, great comments there and uh, thank you for those everybody uh, Paul Ashby on Twitter basically saying very similar things uh, he's player in game management uh, in the dying seconds we aren't looking to create attacks so it's not the same as any other minute in the match so that you know obviously is supporting your view to a point there DR in terms of saying Spironi should be aware we're not looking to create an attack but I also think the same could be said to you know of Scott Dan when he receives that ball should he understand when it is you know in, in the match but I think I think we're there, really, aren't we? I think everyone agrees that you know there's there's a there's a lot of accountability and blame to be sort of shared around there, and um, it wasn't a great moment for us um, in the match, and, and and ultimately cost us the opportunity to take three points against Everton. Because let's face it, not an awful lot happened in the second half. We'll be talking about that in just a moment, but first. And I'm saying it slowly to ensure it's lined up properly, but I'm sure it is. First, we have Hamblings Ramblings. Chris Hamblings can't all ranty. Something's really wound him up. He's using lots of nutty words like bloody cripes and for Pete's sake. It's going to get quite heated. The air is turning blue. The refs have come. The players are. And guess what? So are you. He'll whine about the tactics, the substitutes and such. But please don't get him started on Jordan much. So welcome to another Ramblings Ramblings. And um, well, this week, uh, you know, I've obviously prepared in full for this, because as I often do. And, um, you know, I'll be honest with you, the, the idea was inspired by Mr. Patrick O'Connor. And I, I thank Patrick for this. You see, he's highlighted to me a, a situation which is, I would say, almost definitely uniquely Palace in the way that we operate and the way that things go for us. You see, a lot of teams have that thing where, you know, players who used to play for them score against them. We, we have it, we feel more than most, but I think you'll find probably every other club thinks that as well. So, But it does tend to happen quite a lot, you know. Um, 
So what we had this time, what we had is, uh, you know, obviously we've we've got one striker, you know, effectively fit. It was none for a while, um, and that's not ideal. And we had that situation, of course, in the window where we actually go out to try and solve that problem. We tried to, you know, try to go out to the market and find someone who no one wanted, and nobody wanted Omar Nias, did they? No one wanted him, and I pronounced his name brilliantly, so shut up, right? And the thing was... We did want him. We, you know, not the fans, but the club identified him as a player that they wanted. They thought he'd make a difference to the team. But yeah, all us experts, no, we didn't want him. We didn't want him. But the deal fell through anyway. Everyone, you know, blessing in disguise, isn't it? But I think only Palace can actually have a, a player who's agreed to join them, physically been at the club, been in the Soho offices, stood alongside Mamadou Sakho, effectively signed for the club only for it to fall through for reasons undisclosed. And then that player, despite having never even actually played for us, just ruins everything. He dives, the cheat, and then he has the audacity to take advantage of a mistake. I just, I don't know. Is that a uniquely Palace thing? Why do we keep doing these things? Why, why do we like to set trends? No, we're not, we're not satisfied with just the regular trends that exist in football. We have to set our own. It's pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. And you know what? No, I'm angry about it. And I think I've stressed that well enough for me to stop now. Bye. Chris Sambling's gone all ranty. Something's really wound him up. He's using lots of nutty words. Like bloody cripes and for Pete's sake. It's going to get quite heated. The air is turning blue. The refs have cut. The players are. And guess what? So are you. He'll whine about the tactics, the substitutes and such. But please don't get him started on Jordan much. Get in touch with the show. All of our contact details can be found at holradio.net forward slash contact. So there it is. We concede goals from players who nearly signed from us as well as players who have used to play from us. But Alex, this is an opportunity for you to talk a little bit about how uh, Omanias played against us because you wanted to bring that up. Yeah, um, I, I thought he was outstanding. Um, I thought he was a man possessed. I think a man wanted to prove to Parrish that he was worth that extra, I don't know, what was it, rumoured figure? Is it £2 million pounds, um, to his agent? I thought... I... That's what, that's what I've heard. Anyway, £2 million. Pounds. And I think he was just a man there. He was pumped. You could see it. As soon as Whistle went, he was chasing... Chasing the channels, he was um, he was he was pressing Jules, he was pressing Scott Dan. He really wanted to score yesterday, and he's a player I've you know when when we saw him last season uh, for Hull, um, I thought he was he was he was fantastic for them. All right, he didn't score a lot of goals, but he was a player that's got immense work rate and a player that I thought would you know would would suit his sides. Uh, you know, perfectly a player that you know gives you an, an alternative option to to Benteke if he's fit. Um, and yeah, I was just really impressed with his all-round game. All right, I know, I know he 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 bent down very easily, he dived, but you know, if he was in our side, we we would we would love that because well, not maybe not diving, but we'd love that work rate, we'd love that passion, and and he and he's got he's got something to prove. He's proof he's proving the Everton fans wrong, and he's proving our board wrong that. You know, he was the, he was he, we were, he was worth the extra expenditure. Well, and, uh, I, I mean, there's a couple of things. I, I, Patrick's going to jump in on this in a yeah. sec. There's a couple of things I do want to say. That first of all, I mean, there was 
clearly there was some sort of additional expenditure needed, but the club have never gone on the record to say exactly what that was or what the situation was. But what I would like, what I'd also point out is that how he played was exactly how Steve Parrish described him to us when we talked to him about why we targeted him. And this again was at a stage where people were kind of ridiculing it as, Oh, if that's the solution, I don't want to, you know, what a, what a pathetic show of, you know, whatever. I was so angry. I couldn't even <laughs> do a, do a sentence there, but you know what I mean? It's, um, you know, that we were, everyone was disappointed. He was even targeted, but what you saw was a performance exactly in line with what we were told the reasons we target him were that he was full of running, full of energy, prepared to take the channels, essentially, you know, an upgrade on, on what Fraser Campbell was doing off the bench for us. And, you know, we had him in the building and, and it must have been something fairly dramatic um, for it to fall fall apart the way it did. So um, there we go. It's, 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 it's done, but fairly typical, isn't it, pa- uh, Patrick? You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I hate that typical Palace, but what he did yesterday was typical Palace. But going back to what you said, Chris, you stole my thunder. I agreed. I, I remember the Parish interview and I... I was very pleased when I saw him linked to us because I like what he, what he did for whole last year. He averages like a goal every three matches, by the way, if you look at his stats. He's actually a decent goal scorer. I thought of him like a, as a better version of Fraser Campbell. You know, he's got a great work rate. He's a better finisher than Campbell and Jerome were. And, um, you know, he would have done a job for us. It's a shame we didn't get him. But after yesterday, I want nothing to do with the guy anymore because that, that dive just really takes me out of this. Yeah, was, that was bad. Yeah, yeah, it really just, does. You know, we're, yeah. we're not going to be going back for him, are we? Let's I doubt it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, jump in, Alex, and we'll get DR's views on the ass. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, just a quick one. Like, obviously, towards the end of last season, obviously, Defoe was in um, that Sunderland side, and there was a lot of talk on the forums in the Palace circles about, oh, well, are we going to get Defoe in the summer? Now, I posed a question. I said, you know, if it was up to me, I would obviously rather Nias to Defoe. This was back then, and I feel like Nias is obviously proving that wrong, and it, it's proving that you don't need to, to throw cash at uh, a problem. Um, you know, if Nias was available, I don't think he would have been available for a, a lot of money compared to what well, maybe what Defoe's available, well, what Defoe was available for in the summer in terms of wages. Right, so okay. th- th- that's just a that's just a, a lesson there. The fact that the Palace fans, I know we, well, you know, everyone wants to spend big on a striker in January. That's not always the case. It's not always the case of throwing money will just lead to something straight away. Well, let's put it let's put it in a little bit of context, though. Of course, the the deal I believe was still ten million quid. Um, the one we were trying to do anyway. I don't know what the final one was, but the deal was ten million quid. They'd signed him for thirteen, and he'd been an absolute flop. So you're still talking a, a, a big sum of money. But I suppose you know, in the in the great context of what we've now seen of him. And what we've uh, no chance, you know. It's, there we go. These these things happen, don't they? No, I, I get your point. I get your point. Uh, Dr. Last little bit, you know. Again, wouldn't have impressed you, I guess, from the dive. But you know, would would he have been a player that you'd have been happy to see at the time? And how about now? Yeah, you, you probably can't remember, but yeah, I, I did want Nias at the club because um, we had the option of Tosun uh, from Besiktas and Nias, and I did say I think it was a transfer deadline day show, but I did say that I would have Nias because he's a different type of player, and we saw that yesterday. He's a player that could dribble, and um, which I don't think Benteke can. I think Benteke is a if you give him the ball, he will finish, uh, and also he could finish. He caused nightmare for defenders, and I'm not. I'm not saying, oh, well, yes, what he done was very well with his diving and stuff. But if you have players that are, like, pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, and which he was doing, and now Everton fans love him. And um, I would love to have him at the club, but it didn't happen. I'm disappointed. Yeah, it does feel very much like one that got away. Um, and it's, it's weird to think that 
potentially it was the failure of his transfer to Palace that actually spurred him on when he actually when he got an opportunity at Everton. Um, but there we go. Um, you know, our loss is is their gain at the moment, this moment in time. Uh, go on, Dale, very quick. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it was us that spurred him on. I think it was mainly Everton. I think um, Ronald Koeman was a bit harsh on him and they didn't give him much chances when he went to Hull. Um, as uh, Patrick and Alex said, um, he was actually he was actually decent for the whole side, and that's my basis as well. He was decent for the whole side. I know this guy has something in him, and he's showing that now. He's getting his chances and he's slowing them in. Yeah, fair point. No, it's, it, you know, it's uh, it's definitely disappointing to have uh, to missed out. We, you know, when you've when you've looked at what we've done uh, since that moment, but uh, you know things. We'll, we'll see what happens. Come the end of the season, we'll see, we'll see how we feel then, I guess. But uh, yeah, um, one last point before we go then, gents. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Christian Benteke and about how we envisage him fitting into that side. We've all been kind of hinting at it over the, the course of the show. Um, so I, I'm going to start with my view. And it's I have stated very similar over the last sort of couple of weeks, um, if not longer. You know, And, and again, focusing on the front, I think that, you know the the situation at the back. You know, I, I, I'm not going to dwell on. I think let's just talk about these. The, well, I consider we should be going back to a front three, um, but much more orthodox than we were under De Boer. So obviously, I do see Benteke spearheading that, and I do see Zaha left and Townsend right in support of that, um, and to sort of get a bit. Just to sort of indicate what I mean, I don't see them as out and out wingers. I do see them as more sort of what you'd call inside forwards, I guess. Um, you know, basically, if the ball's on one side, the other one gets alongside to make a second striker. You know, which whichever side it is. So either Zaha or Townsend in and around Benteke if the ball's out wide. If the ball's through the centre, then I see that being Loftus Cheek playing ahead of the sitting two of. Uh, Kabai and, and Milivojevic and for me if you've got that as your, your central midfield those two Kabai and Luka who have been brilliant stick Loftus-Cheek central ahead of them with no real responsibility in chasing back Benteke ahead of him with Zaha and, and Townsend out wide I'm salivating you know I genuinely think that's a superb attacking setup, and then it's all about cutting out the mistakes and, and we'll breeze it in my view easy right <laughs> who, who wants to go next <laughs> I'll go. Chris, I 100% agree with you. I think that that is the way that we need to go. Um, I love the fact that you'd have Townsend and Zaha paint off him now that they've done it by themselves. Having a, a focal point makes it even easier. Uh, crosses like what Ward put in yesterday would be perfect for Benteke, but also will be the high balls now. You can go back to putting crosses in. So I agree with you. Uh, again, the key, what you just said, is a loss of cheek. Give him a free roll. Because we all know he doesn't like defending in the first place, and he's much more effective central. Um, but Luca and Kabai do the, the donkey work, as it were. They've done very well doing it in the last few weeks, anyway. And uh, I'm with you. The last thing we've got to do is cut out the mistakes. We have to give clean sheet at some point this season, and hopefully, you know, this this coming Saturday. But if we can do that, I think I'm going to score goals now with our midfielders like uh, Zaha and well, McCarthy yesterday, and hopefully, well, Luca scored this year. Goodbye. Hopefully, we'll score soon. That's where to go. The four three three, I think, would be perfect and uh, give us a chance to stay up. Anything to add to that deal, or do you see it being a slightly different way to accommodate Benteke? Because obviously, I'm talking about dropping MacArthur, and he's you know he's an effective player. Yeah, it's, it is a bit weird because um, looking back at the season, Benteke hasn't played that well in my eyes. I feel like this injury was kind of good for him in a way, so he could have some time off and reflect 
on how he's played and how we can improve. But it's weird because I feel like if Benteke started yesterday, we wouldn't be able to play as we did because the reason why Liverpool sold him is the fact that how we played yesterday. It was a fast uh, pass and move, um, try tr- just constantly to pass and move. And Benteke is not that type of player. So if we do put him into that side, it might actually make us play bad if you play that type of style so i don't know chris it really does depend on who we play and how if he's going to change because if he's been if he's going to play like he has been playing this season then i don't see him being effective but if he changes up and if he suits to the style then yeah he can be effective so it's an interesting point and i you know i do worry when we have a what you'd class as a target man i guess up there i do worry that it does give the defense when under pressure and out, you know, someone to boot the ball near. And as you say, we've stopped doing that because we've had to. And if you suddenly put that option back in there, will it affect the the style that we've been producing and the confidence we've been playing with? Maybe it will. And I suppose, Alex, that gives me an opportunity to ask you as the the final kind of contribution Mm. of of the night. Does Benteke just walk straight back in then? Yeah, I, I think so. And I feel that having Benteke in the side will also help the weak area of our side in terms of our fullbacks. I think our fullback area is the most weakest part of the team. And having the likes of Wilf and Townsend tracking back um, will help that. And they'll help support the fullbacks. And I just feel the team as a whole will be more balanced. Um, um, and I'm really looking forward to just having that focal point, especially for those away games where we're on the break. Um, and you know we're on the break. We get in those 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 half chances, and someone like Benteke with one chance in the air, he's so uh, vital for them. Uh, such a potent striker at, at best, and we just need to play to his strengths. Um, and, and let's hope that with likes of Loftus Cheek, you know his delivery is great as well. I haven't seen more of the ball. I feel it will only benefit us. It, you know, let's face it, Benteke is a. We, we spent thirty million pounds on Benteke, and so. It, I, I, there, there is a great striker in there. We just got yeah. to hope that we play to his strengths. Well, there we go. And 17 goals last season, I think, easily forgotten because of the struggles of this season. But you, you get him the chances, he can put them away. But got to get him, got to get him fired up and working because, you know, a, a sluggish Benteke, and we have seen it at times, um, certainly does himself no favours as well as the team. Anyway, so as our uh, official account tweeted. It's not all doom and gloom. After 11 games last season, Swansea only had five points and they stayed up. We're not that far behind. So a little bit of a positive message there. Uh, Obviously, do listen to the preview podcast. It'll be recorded midweek. It'll be out for you probably Wednesday night or Thursday. I believe Albert is hosting uh, this this week, which should be an experience, definitely. Um, You're on that one, aren't you, Alex? Good luck with that, mate. Oh, God. Dear me. Uh, it's It'd be puns be... galore, won't it? Yeah. Good luck. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. Obviously, yeah, do download that. Thank you very much for listening today. My appreciation to producer Sam for producing in some difficult circumstances today, to Patrick, to Alex, and to DR, and um, just, yeah, just everyone, and myself especially. I've been great as well. So uh, join us again next week. Bye now.
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.